0: Welcome to La Raza Chronicles Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza On tonight's program we bring you music from La Mera Candelaria We also bring you an interview with Lori Coyle About her film Adios Amor, The Search for Maria Moreno And we also feature the In La Keshe Dance Academy it's About the upcoming Queer Latin Dance Festival Todo esto y mucho más, don't miss it
1: One, two, three. One, two, three. My name is Maria Moreno. I'm a mother of twelve children. We start working real early in the morning. That the children don't have enough sleep. Not even have enough to eat. Not even clothing. I have a lot of things to say on agriculture worker the way we were, the way we suffered, the way we been treated. She was fearless.
2: She could move a group. She'd have (laughs) these people in tears telling her story.
3: She wasn't afraid to say whatever she had to say, whether it was a politician or a worker or whatever. She was a pain in the ass, and she would not back off. Here's my mother's second grade education, and she's doing this. Uh, It was just like, wow, it blew me away.
1: I guess we got rights. And it's time to ask for justice. And then
4: one day she disappeared, and I don't know what happened.
1: There are 273 listings for a Maria Moreno. That's it. Oh, right
0: here, there it is. Oh, my
1: goodness.
3: Too much. This here is me. And I'm wondering oh, why I was yeah,
2: frowning. <laughs> I like this one. Yeah. This is so yeah, bad. And it's chicken. An oh, I think this oh, was like
1: yeah, in the I'm,
4: really, I'm, I'm really 73 years old. Eating. And I miss my mother still. Up there. Yeah. Oh thank you. Look at how beautiful. Oh.
3: The house is right about here. Yes, I'm
1: going home. And there is nothing. The road is our home. The ground is our table. Any place we go, there's our home. Praise God. I am going home. I'm an American citizen, and I'm talking for justice.
0: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Cusnid, and today we're really lucky to talk about a film that is highlighting so many important issues in our community that is just as relevant now as the protagonists who fought around so many different justice issues that we're still facing today. I'm speaking with Lori Coyle, who is behind this beautiful film, Adiós Amor, The Search for Maria Moreno. Lori, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. It's really exciting to be here. So Lori, before we get into your story and your long time work in incredible filmmaking around social movements, let's just start off with Maria Morena's story. So you really dug in and did a lot of archival work to tell us her story. So for listeners who don't know her story, which is likely, tell them a little bit about the role she's played in the labor movement and a little bit about her life.
5: Well, Maria Moreno's story was essentially buried and was left out of, I guess, what we would call the mainstream narrative of farm labor history. And I stumbled across her story really by accident. I was working on a film about Cesar Chavez made by two Bay Area filmmakers, Rick Tejada Flores and Ray Tellez, called The Fight in the Fields. And doing research for them, I actually found these pictures of Maria Moreno. It was very clear that she was a charismatic organizer in the fields, It was quite remarkable to see her speaking to groups of farm workers. Many of them were men listening very attentively. It was unusual to see a woman in the front lines. And the other thing that was quite remarkable was that she often had her children at her side. So I was very taken with that and wanted to learn more about her story and was surprised to learn that really nobody knew anything about her. This was... uh, 19, late 1950s, early 1960s. So it was before the movement that was launched by Cesar Chavez, uh, Dolores Huerta and Gilbert Padilla. So yes uh, Maria Moreno was an early farm labor organizer. Laurie Coyle, so Maria Moreno was someone who, like all of us, had a
0: very complex winding history and story and you got a chance to get to know her family and it's a great title, Adios Amor, the search for Maria Moreno because it really was a search and it really seemed like so many of her family members even didn't have a complete picture of the role she played and how she got to where she was. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what they will experience and see as you go around and meet all these people that played a role in her life or were touched by her work?
5: Yes. Well, the film begins with my search. And when I began, I actually didn't know whether I would find Maria Moreno. And I began with tracking down the photographer who had taken these truly remarkable photographs, hundreds of photographs of her. And that's how I found out that this was Maria Moreno, that she had worked for the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, AWOC, which was an important precursor to the United Farm Workers. And Maria actually was the first farm worker woman in the United States to be hired as a union organizer, something that really is not known by many people at all. When I made contact with the photographer. He put me in touch with other people who had documented her story, including Ernest Lowe, who was an important radio producer for KPFA in the early 1960s. Uh, Ron Taylor, who was a Pulitzer Prize-nominated reporter, who was the only person who wrote about Maria Moreno. And uh, eventually, I, I began speaking to farm labor organizers. I was finding out more about Maria, but I really wasn't getting any closer to finding her. So I put out a public service announcement on Radio Bilingue. I put up flyers. There was information on the internet. And ultimately, it was Maria's family that heard about my search and tracked me down. As soon as I met the family, I realized that there was a big story here. The story was not just about Maria Moreno as a labor leader, but it was really about her family their lives as migrant farm workers and their faith and family values and love that got them through many challenging times and that they really were the bedrock of her activism Um she was not somebody who left her family behind and went off to as an activist she was somebody who really integrated her family life and her activism. And I found that really fascinating because it's a it's something that we continue to struggle with today. How do we balance? How do we juggle our roles as mothers, as artists, as political activists? How do we make that all work? So, yes. Lori Coyle, we heard you're the director and producer of Adios Amor,
0: The Search for Maria Moreno. And we heard the trailer as we started off leading into this interview, and so people got to hear some of the sounds and the places that you went recording, and this was such a big project that has very much consumed a lot of your life. What are some of the things that you discovered along the way that were unexpected when you thought of this very strong labor leader that had disappeared, um, that was left without a trace in many ways? What, What were some of the things that you uncovered?
5: Well, one of the things that I thought that was quite remarkable is that Maria Moreno was, she was elected by her multi-ethnic union at a time when the Central Valley in California was very segregated. She was elected by her fellow farm workers in the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee to represent them. And that was a group of farm workers that included Okies and Arkies and African-Americans, as well as Filipinos, Mexican-Americans, and uh, Mexicans. So it was quite remarkable that a woman w- who had a second grade education uh, would be elected to be spokesperson for this emerging union movement. The other thing that was truly remarkable is that Maria Moreno was an indigenous woman woman actually. Her mother was a Mescalero Apache from Texas. Her father was an orphan of the Mexican Revolution. She was born in Texas and like um, it's not very well known but There were many Mexican-Americans who came to California with the Dust Bowl migration. It was not, of course, the Okies and Arkies are more famously remembered through John Steinbeck's uh, Grapes of Wrath novel, but there were also many Mexican-Americans who came to California with the Dust Bowl migration, and her family was one of them. Understanding Maria Moreno's story forces us to kind of reframe the history that we've been taught about the Great Depression, uh, the role of uh, Mexican-Americans in the 1930s in those movements that emerged in the fields. And also the role of, of, a, of a woman who was, she was, as I said, her mother was indigenous. And so she was Mexican-American, indigenous, and an American citizen, fully bilingual. She did her organizing in Spanish and in English and uh, was quite remarkable in that way.
0: That's the voice of Lori She's the director and producer of Adios Amor, The Search for Maria Moreno. Lori, when I saw your film, something that blew me away was the actual footage that you found of her speaking at UC Berkeley and speaking in such a strong, powerful way that I was kind of, it kind of gave me, you know, the shivers feeling where you just felt like, well, this is a woman that has to be heard. I mean, it's how could she be ignored? Can you tell us about that? Because we're about to hear a little bit from her. So maybe you can preface. What what are we about to hear right now? Her, We're going to hear directly from Maria Moreno.
5: Well, one of the most remarkable things about the project and the search was that I was three years into the search before I found any audio of Maria Moreno, and I kept hearing what a remarkable orator she was, and... I actually envisioned having to finish the film without ever hearing her voice directly. So it was really quite uh, an exciting discovery when I found audio of her, first in Detroit at the Labor Archives at the Walter Ruther Library, and then at the Pacifica Radio Archives, uh, of which, of course, KPFA uh, is a main contributor to that archive. So. The speech of Maria that we're about to hear actually uh, was recorded by KPFA radio at UC Berkeley in the spring of 1961, at a time when Maria Moreno's union, the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, had gone on strike in the lettuce fields way down in the Imperial Valley. And it was a bitter strike. They lost the strike ultimately and KPFA uh, had come on campus to record a meeting of students and community members who were interested in the plight of farm workers and were having this rally. And Maria Moreno was one of the featured speakers there.
4: At the beginning of January, the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee and United Packing House Workers launched an organizational drive in the Imperial Valley Lettuce Harvest. This drive resulted in the bitterest conflict to come out of the current effort to organize farm workers in California. The strikes were called off in the middle of March. Late in February, the University of California Student Committee for Agricultural Labor held a rally for the Imperial Valley lettuce strikers. The rally began with folk songs and a showing of a film on the strike which is referred to several times during the meeting. The talks which followed the film will now be presented. The meeting was concluded by Maria Moreno, an organizer for Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee and an agricultural worker for 30 years.
1: I've been a worker all my life. I know how to handle a man's job like a man. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm an American citizen and I'm talking for justice. I'm asking for justice, not only for me or for, or for my family, but all the migrant workers, we can feed our children half feed, half eat. Don't you think that our children had their stomachs full, like, full of uh, food like the rest of the you people or rest of the people that had a union or had a better uh, li- a decent wages? We don't. Our, our children, the road is our home. The ground is our table. Any place we go, there's our home. The growers, when we go to uh, make, uh, harvest their fruit, they, they, they pile some boxes. There. there are some boxes you can build your own home. There are some bales of hay. You can sleep there. That's the way that we've been, we have been treated. We never screamed. We never had a, said a word until now. Like I said, I'm a mother of 12 children and I'm working for discovering the things that have been hiding for, some lo- for so long that people must Know what we've been suffering, what we've been getting through. Sometimes I see the people, they buy the delicious apples, bananas, all kinds of good foods, and then I take a look at my table beans and potatoes, morning and night. Why?
0: Because we've been forgotten you've just heard directly from Maria Moreno. She is the protagonist of this powerful documentary, Adios Amor, The Search for Maria Moreno. And it was directed and produced by Lori Coyle, who is a long time, well-known, loved filmmaker here in the Bay Area and beyond. So Lori, we got to actually hear from Maria Moreno, uh, add such another dimension, because it's her list of all the different things she's involved with that were very impressive, but it's just her voice itself is a, such a key part of this story. So you produced this film that follows her and also tells the story of her family. You actually screened it at the community college that I work at, City College of San Francisco. It really left an impression on my students, most of which are first in their family to go to college and also most of which come from an immigrant background. So many felt this sense of identification with the film. Can you tell us just about the role of this film? Not just in telling the story that otherwise most people wouldn't have no idea, Idea who Maria Moreno was. So along with just giving a spotlight to this very important person who otherwise we wouldn't know about, tell us about the other powerful role this film can play in the educational setting.
5: I'm glad you asked that question. We've actually this the film premiered in March and since that time we've really been on the road taking it all the way from New York to Washington to Arizona to San Diego, Los Angeles and We've screened it for farm, many farmworker women, and they have been very moved by Maria Moreno's story. They identify with her story, and for them, it's empowering to feel that they're standing on the shoulders of the women leaders who came before them. And because it gives them a wider view of what their situation is to understand what came before and that they're not starting from scratch, that this is a movement that's been going on for decades and that they are part of this great tradition, it empowers their voices. We've been asked to take the film to Alabama upstate to New York, to uh, Washington State, to the border to screen the film for Farmworker Women. And uh, we're also screening it in conjunction with our sister project, Mistoria.net, which is a a storytelling project and a bilingual uh, website that shares stories of the Latina experience. We've been Partnering with farmworker women's organizations, such as Líderes Campesinas, the Alianza Nacional de Campesinas, which is a national um, network of farmworker women's organizations. And uh, we screened the film. And talk about the issues that the film brings up, uh, both in terms of uh, work conditions in the fields today and in terms of the role of women uh, and women's voices in the movement. And uh, then after we screen the film, we actually hold a storytelling workshop in which the women are invited to, to tell their own stories. And these stories, as you can imagine, are, are very remarkable and moving. They include immigration stories, uh, stories of sexual harassment and sexual assault in the fields, stories of family separation, and stories of of beauty and strength. Uh, Women who are truly resilient and want to make their story part of the bearing witness, part of the advocacy work that they do that's the voice of Lori
0: Coyle. She directed and produced Adios Amor, The Search for Maria Moreno. And we've talked a little bit about its impact, the impact of Maria Moreno and the impact of this film, which is very powerful. And along with compiling archival footage and archival images that otherwise wouldn't be brought to our attention. It really tells the story of a woman who did so much during her time, but even beyond just during her time. She was an incredible leader and activist that put her body on the line and took a lot of risks that today would be also would be dangerous and would carry along with them a lot of risks so Lori, i know that there are some screenings coming up because this is really kind of film that it, it makes sense to watch it on the big screen can you tell us about some upcoming opportunities to not only see this film but be in community with others that think this story is crucial
5: absolutely adios amor the search for maria moreno will be playing next week at san francisco's documentary festival, the first and biggest documentary festival in the Bay Area. And that will be screening on Friday night, June 8th at 7.15 p.m. and Saturday, June 9th at 12.30 in the afternoon at the Roxy Theater, which is San Francisco's historic theater in the Mission District. For more information about those screenings, you can call IndieFest at 415-662-FEST Or you can visit the www.sanfranciscoindie.com and you can get more information about how we'll be screening there. It would be great to have you all come out. The Govea family will be playing music on Friday night before the the credits come up on the film. And uh, it should be a wonderful evening. And we'll also have the participation of uh, some of Maria Moreno's children who are featured in the film and they will be... traveling to San Francisco to be part of the Q&A after the movie. And if you want to get involved further or get more information about Adios Amor, the search for Maria Moreno... Please follow us on Facebook. We have a very active Facebook page at Adios Amor. And also you can learn more about the project at www.adiosamorfilm.com. And there you can find out about all the upcoming events that we have, how you can uh, share the film in your own community, in your classroom. And you can also link to our website, our sister website, mistoria.net, where you can read the stories of of over 100 women in California and beyond who have shared their stories with us. So I invite you to get in touch with us, to follow us on Facebook, and to contribute your own stories. We actually have a very easy way on the MiStoria website for people to upload their own stories and for them to be part of this larger conversation that uh, we've been able to foster by sharing Maria Moreno's story with the public. That's the voice of Lori Coyle. She
0: directed and produced Adios Amor, The Search for Maria Moreno. I've seen this film. I actually brought my whole class to see the film and it was really powerful. So if you have students in your life, if you have loved ones, if you have anyone who has any connection to the migration experience or has any experience with agricultural work or would like to learn more about worker justice or environmental justice issues, this is a really crucial film to get a human story and also hear the story of a woman who by all counts, had little power, but built so much and advocated so fiercely for the betterment of her people. And so this is a film I think that can support people in better understanding how do movements work and how do people stand up when they see injustice. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here with us. We really appreciate your time making this film, and and how long did it take you?
5: Remind us again, how long did this film take? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, You'll be shocked when I say it took seven years to make this film, but actually, if you talk to my Bay Area documentary colleagues, you'll see that uh, I'm not that far off the average (laughs) for what it takes to make an independent documentary. Half of the time is spent fundraising uh, and In this case, a lot of time was actually spent tracking down the subject and not knowing where it was going to lead. And what's so important for
0: people to understand is that Lori really has just been so dedicated, and this is just her dedication to bring this story to so many others. So we're very lucky to have this opportunity to not only see this film, but to see it in community. So take advantage of these screenings. They're going to be an opportunity to meet other people that are like-minded and to be a part of something that's monumental because I think this is the first and possibly the only film that has been made about Maria Moreno so we need to take advantage of this opportunity
5: Muchísimas gracias,
0: Lori, for joining us We really appreciate your work in the community
5: Y mil gracias a, a ti, Julieta, para haberme invitado Thank you so much It was wonderful to be here
6: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and on tonight's program, we have Stephanie La Mera Candelaria tonight on the show with me. Welcome. Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You originally started your career here in the Bay Area as a front woman for many bands here in the Bay, like La Misa Negra and Candelaria. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now.
2: Uh, yes, that's all
7: true. I started up in the Bay back in 2008 um, with those two groups. I've been in LA for the last two and a half years now. Came down here to start something new, start something fresh. And so I put this project together. We're called La Mera Candelaria. Um, it's more of a solo solo project with a backing band. Um, we play kind of a mixture of things. So Cumbia, because that's my, my love but also kind of expanding into the son cubano realm. So we do a lot of salsa. We blend back and forth between the two. We got some reggaeton in there. So it's a lot of fun. All the dance, all the different dances that you can think of. We probably have one or two in the set.
6: <laughs> You're originally from the kind of the Bay-ish area, NorCal area, right? Yeah. And yeah. so what brought you down to L.A.? Um, well, you know, I I
7: was with my previous band for about seven years, and I learned so much, and I, you know, really got a taste for for the music scene and and all the great people that are around. And I, we ca- we've had played in LA a few times, and I have a lot of friends and family down here, so I was ready to start a new project, and thought you know, LA would be a really great place for me to to see what's new and connect with new musicians. Because the scene, the the Latin music scene here is just so vibrant. So yeah, I, I became one of those Bay to LA transplants. But you know, of course, I I still go back home quite often, and it's nice to be back and forth and kind of bridge the two different uh, two different locations.
6: Remind me, you released your first EP late last year, right? Yeah, August of last year,
7: and we're about to release the second one. Um, the exact date is still to be set. We're in post-production right now, but at some point this summer, hopefully like June or
6: July. And what can our listeners expect from the new EP? Oh
7: man, well, if you get a chance to hear our first one, you know, it's beautiful. I worked with some really great musicians and producers, um, but it's definitely a lot more mellow, laid back. Uh, The second EP I think may take some of our, our fans and listeners by surprise because it's, it's a lot more aggressive musically. We have a salsa that was expertly arranged by this incredible salsero um, from San Jose. His name is Rick Feliciano. And it's a beautiful arrangement that he, that he did for me. So there's that. Uh, it's called Presentame Tu Hermana. A little bit sassy, if you can already just hear from the name. And then we've got another song. Um, it's a cumbia and salsa kind of fusion. Uh, called No Te Enojes, so definitely, you know, a very, it's a good taste of what we're doing as a group, both musically, um, stylistically, as well as just like lyrically, the kind of content that we touch on, um, this, new, this new EP is, is, is out there, but it's it's great. I love it. Every time I listen to the new mixes, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, this is exactly where we need to be right now.
6: And we're going to listen to Preséntame a Tu Hermana. Tell me a little bit more about that song.
7: Uh, it's actually a true story. Um, kind of the, the themes that I'm I'm trying to touch on in a lot of a lot of my songs, finding spaces for feminine voice within the Latin music industry, which has historically been male dominated. Um, whether it's the musicians themselves or even just the content of the songs that we listen to. Um, machismo is real, patriarchy is real, even within the Latin music industry. So with La Mera Candelaria and with the song Presenta Tu Hermana, I am trying to just bring things like calling out machismo and calling out um, discomfort with female sexuality or female empowerment or whatever it may be through the lyrics. So Presenta Me Tu Hermana um, is about a woman who is kind of seeing a guy but she ends up falling in love with his sister and and it kind of pokes fun at at the discomfort that sometimes people feel with with latina sexuality and um i'm trying to say important things but in a fun way in a funny way that make you think while you're dancing and having a great time and it's not you know aggressive or in your face it's really just like yeah these are the realities that a lot of people face that don't really get addressed in Latin music, um, even by other Latinas who are are making music, you know, we're we're usually confined to certain topics. So kind of just throwing all that out the window with this song in particular, um, it tends to, I get a lot of looks from people in the audience like, oh damn, she just said that, like, okay. But they're dancing and they're having a great time, so you can't even be mad about it.
4: No, bien, bien, nene. Aunque lo que tenemos es divertido, te tengo que decir. Desde el día que la vi, he querido tener tu hermana para mí. Que tengas ninguna duda Tuvimos algo real Pero cuando la veo Yo no puedo dejar.
6: I read that you recorded your first album in kitchens. Is that right?
7: That is very, very true. Um, this whole project is like, would not be possible without the generosity of people with big hearts. You know, when I moved to LA, you hear a lot of hype, especially in the Bay. Like, and believe- I'm, I lived in the Bay. I was one of the people who was like, I will never move to LA. Never. And I ended up in LA and I kind of had these preconceptions like, oh, everybody there, it's like Hollywood glam. No one really helps each other out. And right away, like the first few months that I was here, I was uh, a guest vocalist at a show and right away this producer came up to me and said, hey, you know, I dig your voice. Let's work together. And, you know, and uh, his name is David Gardena, DeGroove Me, DJ DeGroove Me. He's part of the La Junta DJ Collective. They're amazing. We're actually playing with them this Sunday um, here in Los Angeles, if any of your listeners are in LA. But just this beautiful soul and want, didn't ask for money, like didn't try to take advantage, just wanted to be part of my next step and my next project. So I put these, I put a band together um, just for the recordings. Everybody who was on that recording actually is no longer playing with the group. But we recorded three songs literally in David's kitchen. I'm I'm pretty sure we like to laugh about it. I'm almost positive that all of those songs were recorded barefoot. <laughs> I'm wow. pretty sure and with like cooking happening in the background like just like family roots like and that's what this project is about, you know, making music accessible to people and from the ground up from the from the back from the production all the way to the stage like we're we're brown people out here making brown people music and I this there's a time and place for like fancy recording studios, but I really wanted to start this project like humble and with the kind of values that I was raised with. So, you know, you don't you don't turn your nose if somebody offers you a studio if it's in their kitchen. Awesome, let's do it. Let's make it work. And it actually sounds really good. Like people have been surprised. Like, what that was recorded in someone's kitchen. Like, dang, how did you guys do that? And that's what happens when, you know, you got, you got good-hearted people that are dedicated. And it took hours, you know, to make it sound nice. But it ended up being such a, a great thing that we're, we're all really proud of, David included. And that was the start to, you know, a, a very good relationship with, with David, with his family, with the La Junta crew in general. I mean, we still party together. We still do shows together. And, and I'm working on, actually, a collaboration song with them right now. I was just in the studio this past weekend so you know you gotta you gotta build those strong foundations and they were here in LA I was very surprised that you know wow there's good-hearted people in LA like who knew with my bay area bias but they're here and and it was it was a blessing for sure to to meet people like that when I first got here
6: you're gonna come to the bay well back to the bay and in next weekend right
7: Yes, ma'am. Uh, we're going to be there for three days. It's a weekend extravaganza. Um, we're going to be in Oakland on Thursday night at the Legionnaire Saloon. That's May 31st. Next night, June 1st, we're going to be at um, this awesome party called Cumbiaton. It started here in L.A. It's going to be their first one in the city, um, and that's going to be at Galeria de la Raza. And then on Saturday, I'm so excited to be playing at the, the what do you call it, first Saturday um, map party in San Francisco. We'll be at the Artillery um, in the Mission. So lots of cool parties lined up. I get to hang out in Oakland and San Francisco with my peeps. I'm super excited.
6: Yeah, we're super excited to have you back up here. Yay! Tell our listeners uh, where can they find a little bit more information about your music and where to find it. Yes.
7: Well, we're all over social media. Media. We're all over the internet. Um, we've got Instagram, Facebook. All you gotta do is search La Mera Candelaria. We're the only one by that name, um, so it won't be hard to find us. You'll find a picture of me posing, looking like a, a mil cholá uh, with my pompadour. So that's how you know it's us. Um, we're also we got a website, uh, lameracandelaria.com, dot com, um, where we post all of our shows, flyers, new information, new videos, new music. So that's always a good way to kind of just check out. Like, hey, what's La Mera up to nowadays? It's always stays updated. Um, we were on YouTube. We we always like to post videos from our shows up there. So you'll you'll get a lot of goodies. Couple shows from the Bay are up on there. So you can check us out back back at the Elbow Room and Santa Cruz and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, please please follow us. You know, like us. Stay connected with us. We're always up in the area, and and we love to meet new people. You know, and also, besides connecting with us on, on social media and online, you know, feel free. Like, we're, we're so friendly. We're hella friendly. Hella friendly. I can only say that to Bay people because all my L.A. friends, like, make fun of me for saying hella. But we're hella friendly. Like, come up to us after the show, you know, grab an tea, grab a drink with us. You, you know, we, we love to connect, and the Bay always shows us so much love.
6: That's great. We're happy to have you back in the Bay. Yay! Yes. <laughs> so thank you, Stephanie Lamera Candelaria, for being on the show with me tonight. Oh,
7: thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: You're listening to La Rosa Chronicles, Crónicas de la Rosa, and Julieta Cusnid. And on today's program, we're going to focus on an exciting new academy that is in the Bay Area where a lot of folks are getting a lot of energy to dance and also connect with other people that are like-minded and build a community. I'm talking about In Dance Academy, which has, hasn't has been around too long, but has made quite a splash. And we are talking to the directors and founders. I have Jahaira in the studio, and as well as camera they are both the directors and founders of not only this Academy, but the queer Latin dance festival, which will have its first run in just a couple weeks. Thank you both so much for coming into the studio.
3: Yes, thank, thank you for you. having us. Yay!
0: <laughs> so first off, there's a lot of amazing dancers in the Bay. We are so lucky. La riqueza aquí en la yes. bahía. We mm-hmm. have so many amazing, like Cuban salsa dancers, and we have great yes. people who dance. You know, everything from bachata to every kind of dancing mm-hmm. that one could mention. You know, mm-hmm. exists here in the Bay. Why did you all feel the need to start In La Dance Academy?
4: I
3: think that for us, where the need started was that we, I mean, we love Latin dance and it felt, it feels very hetero, the dominance hetero dominant in the uh, Latin dance scene. And even though we, um, loved going. We always said that, oh, how, how great would it be if we could have a space where queer, trans people can come and feel comfortable. Um, whenever I've talked to my uh, other queer friends and they've said, oh yes, I've gone to that place, but yeah, it's not for me. And so they stopped going. And so we always thought to ourselves, oh, if we ever have a chance to do this, we would love to create a space where queer, trans, and like minded people can come and share space and really explore the the, the gifts and healing factors that come from from dance and, and Latin dance specifically.
2: And I think also to add to that you know it's it's really a, a unique community of folks from all walks of life and we really want to create visibility for our queer and trans community and it feels super important to be able to be one of the only um, dance companies in the in the states right to have this special space where queer and trans folks can come and dance with their corazones and feel free to be themselves So we are talking about Ilakesh Dance Academy. I think that anyone who's been in a dance
0: class has had the experience where oftentimes instead of saying leader and follower, we're hearing Mm -hmm. things like, oh, and the man, the guy Mm -hmm. and the the woman does this and you bring the woman here and you Mm -hmm. do this. There's a lot of gender roles Mm -hmm. and dynamics. And that's a big part of how dance is typically taught and portrayed everything from the way people are kind of push to dress mm-hmm. when they go out or when they're in dance classes to the language being used. So tell us about how Ilakesh feels different when you're in an actual mm-hmm. class.
3: Yeah Yeah, you hit it right on the nose and also to add to that also is always like this idea where only men ask women to dance mm-hmm. and yeah I think that what we're trying to do is expand those boundaries and really say that gender has nothing to do with whether you lead or follow and we are trying to change the language one of the things that we're asking in creating the queer latin dance festival we are hosting several incredible queer artists from all over the country who are coming to teach at our festival and one of the things that we are trying to implement is that language right of of using follower and leader to be more inclusive um, within lakesh dance academy
0: So a lot of us, you know, I'm Mexican. I have a lot of friends Mm who are from El Caribe or maybe Mm -hmm. from other parts of America Latina. And a lot of us, you know, we grew up here. And so people feel a little weird taking a class. You know, they say, "Okay, I know how to dance at my family parties or I know how to do, you know, I may know a little bit of cumia, but it doesn't mean I know salsa just because I'm Latina. You know, like (laughs) a lot of there's a lot of ideas and feelings of just like being inadequate, being Mm -hmm. a Latinx person in the dance world. Mm -hmm. So tell us about who forms part of In La Queche dancing. Academy, and maybe how the energy around taking up dances or, or music that you grew up with is a little different. Your approach to teaching dance that maybe a lot of people have grown up hearing, but maybe have never taken a class around.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I feel that way with cumbia. I grew up, you know, dancing cumbia. Um, my family's, you know, Mexican. And so, you know, once. Once I took a kumia class and I'm like, oh, there's counts. This is interesting. Um, <laughs> this is how probably folks feel about salsa and bachata, right? I think that it's it's a way for instructors to have a platform to teach. And yet we offer like different levels, which I think is great so that, you know, folks don't feel so intimidated around like, oh, I need to, you know, learn the formality and the technique around this dance. But it's really open to anyone who just mm-hmm. wants to come in and learn and dance, you know, with their hearts and not so much about the technical aspect of it like we really want the space to feel like anyone can come any level
3: absolutely
2: yes I remember when I
3: you know I'm from New York but I, I grew up you know, I'm Dominican Dominican parents And so I grew up Dancing bachata And I'm thinking to myself I'm not going to go And learn how to dance bachata I already know How to dance bachata Like it felt very interesting To go and like Actually take a class Like you said mm-hmm. And one of the things That we offer in La Quesh Is not just You know We offer about The history of bachata mm-hmm. Talk about The different rhythms In bachata Where it came from How bachata Had to survive From its inception Right Because its own people Denounced it Because its, it's music of of the poor, of of, of the people who lived in the hills of the Dominican Republic. And so, you know, we offer that kind of curriculum in our training programs. And I know that one of the things that I experienced coming into taking dance classes as a Latina is a lot of unlearning. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's a little bad habit that I used to do there. (laughs) And so, I've just learned a little bit more structure Mm -hmm. and and to really enjoy the music and, and savor those rhythms that come from the Caribbean. And Mm-hmm. indulge in that so that's I'm glad I, I I'd opened up myself to take classes and I and I continue to do that I continue to cross-train and and, and take as many dance classes as possible
0: I'm speaking Jahida and Angelica who are both the directors and founders of In La Dance Academy as well as the queer Latin Dance Festival mm-hmm. which is coming up it's June 8th and 9th so tell us about this festival I know that there's a lot of pieces to it so give our listeners a rundown
3: so we're so excited about this as you mentioned, in La Cage Dance Academy, we've been open only for a few months, uh, since August. And my goodness, we did not expect to get the reception that we have. The community has been wanting this. And so we've just been getting a lot of, we have about 69 students. And our students have created this momentum that has led us to this incredible two-day festival. And the festival is going to be really great. It starts Friday in the afternoon and Friday, June 8th. And basically what we're doing is that we've tried to identify incredible and talented queer Latin dancers in different parts of the United States. And we have contracted them to come for this festival. They will be teaching workshops. We have about 13 workshops throughout the weekend between Friday and Saturday, June 8th and 9th. There'll be workshop for beginners, for folks who are a little bit more advanced. There's also an incredible five-hour challenge by Tina and Courtney from Boston, who are a same-gender couple, who will be doing a five-hour choreo performance And then on Saturday night, the people who take that 5 hours challenge will perform on stage. Along with that, we have the incredible Andre Veloz coming all the way from the Bronx, New York. She's a female bachatera, which there aren't many. Mm -hmm. Um, And she'll be bringing her band with her on Saturday night. And then we will have incredible shows with about 25 performances each night, followed by social dancing to cumbia, salsa, bachata, Mm -hmm. a little bit of reggae get thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And, and
2: then we'll have an after party Saturday night yes, at Club, Club B&B. B&B. Yes. Um, that'll be from 12 to 3 a.m. So we have lots of fun stuff planned for you all. You can purchase your tickets at Eventbrite or if you go to our website, it'll direct you to um, the Eventbrite link and um, on the website has all our workshop schedule, it gives you information about our artists that we're bringing out to our festival it gives you information about our hotel and where you can stay at the website is QueerLatinDanceFestival.com So it seems like there's going to be a lot of
0: different people coming through that people won't often get a chance to see so it's a very unique opportunity Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. who is this for because so many people love dance but maybe don't feel like they're la mera mera salsera like they don't feel like they're gonna be the people like you know on the dance floor you know in the middle of everything is this meant for them who is the
3: festival for well here's the thing before i answer that question i want to say that you know i started dancing you know about two months before my 40th birthday and it's been about five years now. You know, I made history by being the only female leader to to win a World Latin Dance Cup. And so I say that to say that I also did not think that I am la mero mero, you know, ready to to perform. This was definitely not something that I could have planned. And all I did was I showed up to an event at the lake, a bachata event at the lake. And here we are almost five years later. So this is for everyone and anyone who loves dance or who loves someone who loves dance (laughs) and we really are trying to bring two communities together Mm -hmm. right we have a large following in the latin dance community Mm -hmm. and we also want to really engage our queer and trans community Mm -hmm. and really trying to bring these two communities together as you imagine this is not an easy thing to do, but this is what our goal is. We want to say to the Latin dance world, we queer trans people are here. We too want to dance, mm-hmm. we too want to perform, we too want to compete, and we also want to heal through dance. So that's the message that we're trying to get across. And this festival is there are going to be folks from the da- Latin dance world that, you know, we consider to be allies and who have supported Angelica and I mm-hmm. from the beginning of In L'Akesh Dance yes. Academy. And we are also hoping to bring in new faces from the queer and trans community to come and say yes to this calling
2: and just, you know, see what Latin dance can have for you. Yeah, I think that with this beautiful integration of both the queer community and the Latin dance community, you know, can really bring this specialness and this healing that I feel like is super important for our communities. And, you know, it is open to really anyone, anyone and everyone who wants to come with an open heart and and want to be part of this historic event. Yes. So
0: we are talking about Kesh Dance Academy. We're talking about the Queer Latin Dance Festival. That's about to hit in just a couple weeks it's June 8th which is around the corner so I know that this happened with a lot of love and a lot of comunidad. so Mm -hmm. tell us about how this came to be and also the other ways people can support because it seems to be something that you know the village is coming together to make it reality
2: yeah we really want to thank and give a big shout out to our leadership team who have really like put on this festival and has volunteered their time and labor and hard work to really put this together. You know, it takes it takes a village. So, yeah, so like Angelica said, our leadership team
3: have, has pioneered this event. And we also did have an Indiegogo campaign that has ended now. And we were able to collect some donations from
2: there. But there's always opportunities to donate. If you'd like to sponsor our event, um, you can feel free to email us. Any donation is accepted. Yeah. You can email, email us at inlakeshdance at gmail.com. Um, we, this is our first great. time throwing this event, and we do want to have longevity and
3: have it be a yearly event. As you can imagine, it being the first one, we, we can use all the help that we can get. So if folks want to get involved, if they want to volunteer for the mm-hmm. event, please feel free to also email us. We we do have a volunteer coordinator who's
2: working on that. We also had a, a scholarship, which is great for, mm-hmm. we, we offered about eight scholarships to students who apply who didn't have the funds to buy a festival pass and so through the indiegogo campaign we were able to Mm -hmm. help folks be yeah. part of our and we always say to people, anyone who's involved
3: within likeish, we always say we don't want money to be a reason mm-hmm. why you don't dance or why you don't experience dance. Mm-hmm. So if, if people are having a hard time and feel like the they can't afford the, the passes, we ask them to please reach out to Angelica and myself. Mm-hmm. Like she said, you can reach us at In Likeish
2: Dance at Gmail. In La <laughs> Dance at Gmail. Yeah. yes. Reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Um, also on Facebook, yes. uh, we have a uh, In Likeish Dance Facebook page in the Quilla and Dance Festival. Facebook page you can contact yeah. us through there yeah. too
3: please we, we want people to be part of this we want people mm-hmm. to be part of the creation of this yes. and this is still time I know that it's only two weeks away mm-hmm. but if you feel very strongly about mm-hmm. this and you feel like you want to be part of this you have a home here just mm-hmm. reach out to us and, and we'd love to have you
0: that's the voice of Jahaira as well as Angelica they're the directors and founders of Inlakesh Dance Academy as well as the Queer Latin Dance Festival Inlakesh Tu Eres Mi Otro Yo so the festival is going to be a great opportunity to meet a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And then I know that the things don't stop with the festival. So if people want to get involved in general within La Dance Academy, what can they do?
3: Yes, absolutely. Right after the festival, June 13th and 14th, we will be having open call. On June 13th, we'll have open call for our training teams, which means that if you've never danced before, uh, have zero experience, and you would like to learn how to dance bachata or salsa, this is your time. June 13th, you can come. We will be having open calls in Oakland, California, information about that will open also be on our website you can also follow us on Facebook to get all of that information and then June 14th we'll be having auditions for our performance teams. So if you feel like you have a little bit of dance experience and you want to get on the stage, June 14th is the day for you. We have seven different teams that you can choose from. We have solo follower teams, solo leader teams, co-ed teams, beginner teams, competition teams, and there's ample room and we just want to keep growing. So please look us up and and join our family. I've been speaking
0: with Jahida and Angelica from in La Cache Dance Academy. Muchísimas gracias a ustedes dos por sí. estar aquí con nosotros. Un
3: placer. <laughs> gracias. Yes,
0: and so people can see you all very soon. This yes. festival is right yes. around the corner and yes. they can also get involved with the Academy. Muchísimas gracias. Okay. Gracias. Gracias. gracias.
6: You have been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. For more information on our show, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash chronicles. And to hear past shows, check us out on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash chronicles. Feliz noches a todos.